0: Hey everyone, Becky from the SHIFT team here, and we're back with a new mini episode to help everyone with some quick listens to get great ideas and tools for gymnastics. Six steps to improve anterior pelvic tilt in 2021. In this mini podcast episode, Dave discusses exactly how to improve overarching and anterior pelvic tilt. He talks about mobility and strength issues and effective exercises to help solve this problem. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. My name is Dave Tilley. And today on the episode, we're going to chat all about anterior pelvic tilt or pretty much an overarching of the pelvis. So if you're someone who kind of has a big arch in your back or when you watch your lifts or when you work out, you can't really seem to get yourself in a better position and your ribs down, your core in position, we're going to talk about today. We're going to chat about, you know, flexibility work. We're going to talk about strength work. We're going to talk about some technique work. So stick around and make sure you dive deep into it with us. I think this is something I deal with a lot when we kind of talk with athletes or when people ask me questions on DMs or emails or things like that. And I think it's a common thing that people deal with. And it's, it's oftentimes a little bit too simplistic of what people make it out to be. You know, I think people say like, oh, you have an arch, like just do these two things and fix it. And like, all of a sudden, you're all better. And the reality is, is that it's not that easy. Just like we've talked about with other things in the channel, it's really important that you understand the underlying reasons why you might have something and realize there's many possible factors that go into, you know, why someone can or cannot overarch or tuck their pelvis or stuff like that. The first thing we want to always talk about when I and I always do these videos is you have to have some sort of a screen. So we're going to talk about some different areas of the, the hips and kind of the low back that we can work on. But if you're just kind of blindly trying to fix these things without realizing there's maybe like 10, 15 different factors that go into why you can or cannot have more or less of an arch in your pelvis, you really might be spending a lot of extra time wasted trying to go through these things. Always work with a medical provider or always do some self screens that we have on the channel or that we'll talk about today. Always try to make that a priority because it might be the case that you're really spinning your wheels and you're gonna frustrated when you might only have one or two things to work on versus like a seven or eight thing routine that you do every day and kind of take a lot of time of your workout, make sure you screen but when we talk about things again, I brought back uh, the lovely stick figures on the left here. Uh, People have said those are the highlight of some of the videos. So thanks so much for dealing with my terrible handwriting sometimes. But when you think about an anterior pelvic tilt, what we're looking at is someone who position of, of overarching of the pelvis. And there's a lot of things that go into that that might be a factor, right? Instead, it's not a terrible thing to have an overarched pelvis problem is when somebody gets kind of stuck in that position or they can't posteriorly tilt their pelvis to maybe make their back feel a bit better or get themselves in a better position to do some skill work. They're lifting when they're doing gymnastics circus, Um, just overall athletes in general. I work with a lot of like baseball athletes too or sprinting athletes and people who really have this large tilt have a problem with this maybe in hamstring pain when they sprint. What we'd like to see is someone who has the ability to get more neutral, right? A little bit of an arch is actually normal for our lower back, but the person who has the ability to kind of get into that rounded posterior tilt or a hollow position we call it in gymnastics kind of has the ability to freely move between those. It's probably going to be the best, right? You want variability between someone who can kind of have that open arch position when they need it, and then someone who can kind of tuck away when they need it as well. So that's kind of what we're looking at. And the first thing I always start with with these things is do you have just the ability to get in a better position. And what I mean by that is like, do you have the soft tissue and joint flexibility to just get out of that position of anterior pelvic tilt. And I think that's what a lot of people sometimes miss on is that if you don't have the passive ability for you know, someone to put your hip joint in more of an extended position, or for you to tuck your low back in, I think what happens sometimes is people really unfortunately do a lot of strength work and a lot of technique work when they literally couldn't get themselves in a better position if they wanted to because of how stiff some of the musculature is. So that's the first thing we're gonna talk about here is in the front when we think about what's going on in the front there are a couple things that you know kind of stick out in the research and what we know is that you know number one is always going to be do you just have like hip flexor and then you could also argue that the quad or the rectus femoris is also a part here that we want to deal with so the iliopsoas right or these hip flexor kind of complex starts from your spine up in your, your lower back and it threads down in front of your anterior femoral head and it attaches down to your hip bones right so what that means is that the more you arch you might actually slack some of that soft tissue and the more you tip yourself under and you extend your hip you're going to stretch that soft tissue. So if someone has a lot of stiffness in their hip flexors, their iliopsoas, right, they may not be able to get their hips into a rounded position because of the stiffness. Vice versa, you know the rectus femoris actually does cross two joints, the knee and hip as well. So sometimes you can have someone who does have extremely stiff quads, and instead of them not being able to do like you know a flexibility test, sometimes they have kind of a top down pull where the stiffness actually pulls their hips down into that rotated uh, anterior pelvic tilt position, and maybe that's something going on too. So we've talked about this on the other channel we can check out these videos. But a a Thomas test is a very easy way to check this out. You just lay on your back, hug one knee and you see if you can get your leg down if your knee can bend past 90 degrees and your hip can get fully open to the table. You have a passing test. But sometimes that's not the case. I would check hip flexors and quads first. Again, most people stop there and they say, Oh, my hip flexors are fine. It must be something else. Let's go work strength worth. But there's actually something on the other side of the joint and actually the most commonly missed one here related to the inside and outside movement of the hips, right? So in the back up top here is going to be the lower back, right? A lot of times, people have very overactive or stiff uh, lumbar paraspinals. And this is usually not something that's, you know, too foreign, it kind of makes sense, you know, but it's a little bit of a chicken or the egg scenario, right? Do you kind of live in a pelvic tilt because of the front, and it makes your low back get really toned up? Or maybe you just don't have the best awareness when you lift, maybe you don't understand how to use your glutes properly and your upper back properly. So you depend on a, a lower back and those Mac muscles can get very, very stiff, right and overworked and they can become stiff as well, cause some sort of mobility restriction. And, you know, I'm not trying to say here that, you know, just because you work your quads or you work your low back that your muscles are like stuck in a crowbar position and you can't get them out. What I'm saying is that the tendency to work these muscles over and over and over sometimes increases the tone of those muscles and they have a tough time going in the opposite direction. So if your hip flexors or quads are extremely stiff and limited, it might be hard to go the other way into hip extension. If your lower back is extremely stiff and toned up all the time, it might be hard for you to go the other way and round into a flatter position of your lower back and stretch those areas, right? And I get this a lot with again, sprinting athletes like track and field or uh, baseball athletes, sometimes gymnasts, the air that I work with circus people that I work with all of that, they they tend to have that pattern of very overextended position. If you do have some very stiff uh, lower back muscles, you can just screen that out by saying if you go on hands and knees, can you do a cat camel motion and actually round your lower back if you don't have any lumbar curve reversal. So there's it just goes from really arched to flat or neutral, right? It doesn't go from arch all the way to round, it might actually be that you have some stiffness in those muscles that are been worked in your lower back and we need to maybe do some soft tissue work there, uh, do some hands and knees rock back breathing. I love that drill where you kind of press yourself into a hollow deep, really deep exhales and try to push your ribs down and crunch your abs and get some more rounding of your lower back. And then you can rock back to your uh, heels and take some really deep breaths as well and see if you can relax some of that musculature in your lower back and get some nice rounding a little bit in an unloaded position to try to get yourself again from arch to neutral, right? And I think a lot of people know that doing neutral to a very, very deep flex position and trying to move or do load in that is probably not great for your back. But there's a difference between that and going from very arch to neutral in a very different position of going flexing from neutral to very, very arch. So keep that in mind. I think a lot of times a little bit of uh, lumbar flexion goes really, really well for the athletes that are chronically in an overarched position. That's number two that we want to think about. But the thing that I see people really uh, not even thinking about inside is going to be what the adductors are doing, right? So the adductors are very interesting muscles because they have multiple planes they work in, right? So maybe, many people know these muscles that just squeeze your legs together. But it's interesting because when you look at some of the research, someone who is sprinting, the muscles in the front of your hip of the adductors, the anterior, your adductors, like your pectineus, your adductor longus, and some of the adductor brevis uh, complexes, when your hip is behind you, they assist the hip flexors to pull that leg through when you're sprinting. So say you're like a sprinting athlete, or you're someone working in, you know, uh, hyper mobile sports or aesthetic sports, even like baseball players, right, who are sprinting to first and stuff like that are doing large pitching motions. It's very possible that the inside of the adductors can get extremely stiff and pull you into that anterior pelvic tilt as well. So we have to constantly be working on the adductors. I'm giving out a lot of adductor soft tissue where, you know, going in kind of a seated position, and rolling up and down in your leg doing adductor dips doing adductor uh, mobilizations in, in that half kneeling position, but then also maybe with some sliders as well. I find that those things help significantly because a lot of times people overlook those the test to screen for this is a favor test. We've talked about this before, but a favor doesn't always mean adductor stiffness, it can mean joint pathology, it can mean many other things. But it's one thing that we do like to look at to see if someone has the flexibility to do either an adductor fallout, a bent knee fallout or a favor test and see if they have the motion to open their hip up, you can use those three things to think about you know, what's going on inside the hip joint. I would look there first, I would check out hip flexors, the lower uh, back paraspinals, and I would look at the adductors. And the second thing, once you kind of clear some of those more basic mobility things, right, of, of the front of the hip, the inside of the hip, maybe the lower back, is you think about, okay, if you have all of the mobility in the world, but you still can't get yourself into a good hollow position or a good tucked position when you're doing loaded movements or barbell work or sprinting or gymnastics or all these different things, maybe we do have a strength deficit here. When we look at the front, you know, this is more commonly known about what balances out the the hip flexors, the quads, and the adductors, well, we're gonna have a lot of the lower abs, right? And you could even argue the obliques working synergistically together are gonna help, You know, the external internal obliques are gonna work together to help tuck under along with that. And you see that a lot in like sports hernias or uh, adductor pathology that sometimes there's a tug of war between the strength of the abs and the strength of the adductor attachments. So people sometimes are really, really mobile, but they don't have the most strength, and they don't understand how to do some of those just basic hollow positions. And so um, the way you screen for this is you just do some strength testing, right? You can have someone lay on their back and have them see if can they tuck their hips all the way under and can they crunch their lower back into the floor into more of a neutral position. And if they do that, can they lift their legs up off the ground and hold that right you start with a bent knee position. And then if they can hold that really well, you can kick your leg out straight, you can also do some hollow rocking and holding and you just check to see if somebody has that you know, the more traditional test for this is a leg lower test. If you look at the literature where you kind of slowly lower your legs and you see how long somebody can hold that without losing that core position or getting the ribs to flare up. So I personally just like to look at these things and screen them. But some drills we really like for this is just what I'm talking about is doing some tucked hollow positions, So laying on your back and doing tuck rocks, uh, doing some leg lower drills where you're kicking one leg out doing some bicycles, just working on a hollow hold, a basic hollow hold, I think is really, really good for many, many athletes to work that lower abs to work the ribs being depressed and try to think about how do I breathe on top of that, right? So thinking about hollowing under squeezing the core nice and tight, and then kind of putting the legs out straight. And we'll have much more videos on kind of uh, in depth core training that we're gonna have coming up because it was requested. I think just basic lower abs and oblique strength is very, very important. Right? obviously, we can do a lot of side plank work, some suitcase carry work, stuff like that to work on the stiffness of the external obliques. But it's all about working these into a pattern where we're keeping the hips tucked under and we're using both our core. uh, But then also what we'll talk about next is going to be some of the glute work, right? So that's the second piece here is obviously the opposite of the anterior tilt mechanism is going to be the glutes to tuck the hips back. So the glute max, but then we'll also talk about some of the uh, glute meat and external rotators. You know, just traditional direct glute training, I think sometimes is missed in some people's programs. They're really good at squatting and even hinging. Obviously, it gets a little bit of the glutes, but it's very, uh, hamstring dominant as well. But what we're trying to get at is direct glute training. So I really like to teach somebody this drill, just to do a tall kneeling hip hinge. So have them go on a pad, hands on their hips, just kneel all the way down, push their hips up fully and try to tuck their hips under it, really engage the glutes, push the hips forwards. You can put a band around their hips. I really like a single leg glute bridge elevated off some sort of a block to work on that direct hip extension. When you hug one leg, you kind of tuck the hips under a little bit more. So that allows more glute activation. And then also things like pull throughs, right things that are just a little bit more directly targeted at the hip. I think sometimes we miss those a little bit or barbell hip lifts, right? We miss those a little bit because they're not as fancy. They're not as fun to do things like, you know, squatting or power cleans or all sorts of explosive med ball work. Um, But sometimes I think that's really lost on people. And that's a really good way to train it, right. So I like the strength aspect of it. But then we do a lot of med ball work, we do a lot of overhead throws, a lot of like standing med ball slams, working on that full hip extension, kettlebell swings are another fantastic thing to put in here some sort of strength and power development to teach someone how to use the glutes after they have basic engagement, maybe on a tall kneeling hip hinge or a single leg glute bridge on the table. Um, Those are fantastic. And you have to program those in a nice hypertrophy rep range. I think Brett Contreras has so much great work here to check out. But if you're not doing enough strength and hypertrophy work of your glutes and maximal loading, you're never going to balance out how much the quads and the adductors may be toned up check out the glutes as well. And I like looking at ratios of like, you know, what's someone's like hip thrust, uh, weight to their squat weight or something of that nature, you can kind of peek at those a little bit. Uh, and lastly, going off the glutes is going to be the outside, right, again, very commonly uh, either underlooked or undertrained. I think here, sometimes people know that the outside so the deep hip external rotators, so the deep ERs, right? You have kind of six muscles that all work together there, but also some of the glutes, the glute med, and the glute men are also slightly involved in rotation. Again, the hips can kind of go open but to balance the adductors out the hips have to externally rotate. I really like doing uh, some more harder versions of things like this that people are typically not doing they're doing clamshells laying on their side and maybe it's just not hard enough for them. Right? if you have someone who's very, very strong and athletic, a very light band clamshell is not going to make them get a training effect. So what we like to do instead is start them with those exercises, but then progress them to side plank clamshells, side plank leg lifts, lateral sled drags, so many other great things we can do to really stress the out side of the hip joint. I think super clams are really fantastic, which is when you lift up into a side plank and do a clamshell together with the appropriate band that's difficult. But yeah, many different things you can work on for the strength department, right? And then also just doing some med ball work, like I said, or doing some lateral bounding or hopping doing some very high intensive side glute work is going to help balance out a lot of the stuff that we have here, three things to think about for the mobility, three things to think about for the strength or the power aspect. And then down here, if they have a lot of mobility, a lot of strength, you're thinking more well, like, well, what is going on? Why is it not showing up? Maybe they just lack control, maybe that person is not technically aware of what they're doing during their skill movements. And I think the most common thing we see here is people just putting too much weight on the bar or doing too much speed, right. So we like to have people either modify right the load or modify the speed right? Because if you have too much weight or too much intensity, or you're going too fast, you can't really feel the movements. So like when someone for sprinting, for example, doesn't get this concept, we go against the wall, put their hands up on the wall and do switch drills. And we really focus on driving out of that back leg and pushing very fast, right? Push your knee up to the wall, push out of the bottom leg glute. But like I said, with med ball work, sometimes we'll do some very slow, tall stand up ISO hold and slam into the ground. And then we'll have them really feel that full glute engagement, that full hip tucked under. So if someone's just not connecting the dots, you got to slow it down a little bit, you got to modify the the load a little bit. Don't just let them blow through more exercise. And then that kind of goes down to here is awareness, right? Do they understand where their hips are in space? And I like doing this as just again, a cat camel drill. I can't wait to see the hilarious gift that Sarah puts in for cat camel. Um, But being able to fully feel your hips tucking under or your hips arching, right? So hands and knees round as much as you possibly can and squeeze your glutes, squeeze your core and then arch as much as you can and feel that and try to find what the opposite. So hips tucked under really feels like right. So that's just going to be a basic drill to kind of give people. But uh, I think rarely it's the awareness thing. I think usually it's a combination of these three. The one that I do think happens more often than not, though, is going to be this last one, which is going to be fatigue. I think sometimes here we don't factor in how much fatigue plays a role here where someone maybe towards the end of their session towards the end of their practice, uh, the end of a long working set if they're doing like, you know, back squats or jerks sets of like eight, nine, 10 for some sort of complex long sprint sessions, long baseball sessions, something of that nature. Sometimes I think they fall apart because they are tired and they're running out of steam. That is more about a load management problem or that is more about a weight and volume programming situation than it is actually like, you know, what the mobility or strength deficits are that they have. So if you notice that someone. Starts off really good in their set or their session, but the wheels fall off and they get into a big anterior pelvic tilt because their core poops out, or maybe something happens with their overall nervous system. They're fatiguing out at the end of a long week of a training session. You have to respect that, and you have to be willing to program or have some communication skills to figure out how you can modify their program. Because trying to grind out the last two or three reps in a set when their back is super extended and the weight's kind of going more in the wrong direction, that's going to be a problem. We see that a lot with people who tweak their back, or also you maybe get some hip soreness because they fall apart, the knees cave in a little bit, the back arches a little bit too much and they kind of get into hot water. Hopefully that helps kind of break down what the problems are, how you can screen for these things and then give you some practical exercises about what to do. What I would do kind of taking this in, in stride is I would put some of the mobility type stuff in a warm up routine. I would take some of these strength work and put it in a warm up routine or as accessory work or add it as working sets in your program so maybe three to four sets of eight to 12 of some of these exercises we talked about 30 to 60 seconds of foam rolling and stretching and eccentrics to these areas and kind of put those together in a program and then like I said just work on some of these drills in your warm up sets or in the beginning of your routine with whether it's sprinting or lifting or gymnastics and be very very aware of going slower modifying the load and trying to work on the awareness and the control and then monitor the fatigue as you go a little bit longer for this episode but i think it delivers it because uh, a lot of people ask me a lot about this question and i wanted to make sure we had a really comprehensive tutorial on it about what it is what you can do and uh, kind of how to deal with it hope you guys enjoy this and have a wonderful day hopefully you enjoyed this mini podcast episode Let us know if it was helpful and if you have any suggestions of what you'd like to learn about next.